You're listening to the Modern Web Podcast. For more podcasts, videos, and events, find us online at modern-web.org or follow us on Twitter at modern.web. That's M-O-D-E-R-N-D-O-T-W-E-B. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Modern Web Podcast. I am your host, Rob Osell. I'm an architect at This.Labs. Today, we're very excited to sit down and talk about Playwright with Debbie O'Brien. Debbie is a senior program manager at Microsoft and a Playwright developer advocate. Debbie, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Rob. How are you? It's Friday, so it's the end of the week. <laughs> yeah, we're recording this on a Friday, so you know we have both a lot of energy and only what's left of the energy from the Wii, but we're, we're going to make do. <laughs> um, we're, we're really glad that you could be here. You know, some of the background of this is I was actually lucky enough to get uh, some instruction. You came in and talked to our team about Playwright and, and some of the ways to use it. And I think when our team saw the things that you've been doing uh, with Playwright, that it was, it was honestly really surprising to everybody because you know people might have heard of puppeteer and and certainly playwright has been this thing that is growing in popularity and growing in understanding and maybe people are familiar with cypress but it really was until we saw it that we saw kind of how much was there and how impressive it really was so i guess what was surprising well we're going to talk about a lot of it but to give people a preview i think for me what was super exciting is the um the recording story so uh, I, I had mentioned this during the training as well, but like when I've had experiences doing any kind of automated test recording or macro recordings, like in things like Excel, it always captures so many unnecessary clicks, things you did not really want to be in the recording. Um, and so there's always this process of like getting a recording with hundreds of things in it and you have to filter down to the relevant ones. And what impressed me was that not only the recorder didn't have a lot of waste, but that it was using selectors that were specific in ways that were meaningful and correct. And what what I mean by that is that I have done a lot of this kind of UI testing where it's, you know, it's, oh, the selector is the second div inside of the third div, inside of the span that's inside the H1 tag. (laughs) And, you know, they're brittle. Every time someone goes and changes anything about the page, all the UI tests break and have to be fixed. And that it was both powerful enough to do recording without falling prey to that. Um, That was what got me excited because I just love this idea of empowering testers without necessarily needing coders. Um, And also getting people on board, right? People have never tested before that. It's not this big, scary, like, Oh, I'm a junior developer. I'm not going to be able to test yet. Like, no, everyone can start to write tests from any level. Right. And, and and you can do it as a training exercise. I mean, part of writing the mm-hmm. tests is learn how to use the app. And as you're using the yeah. app and as you're discovering how to do it, uh, you know, it's it's doing that. So let's put that on pause for just a second and let's let everybody else in on what we're talking about. So we're talking okay. about Playwright for people that maybe aren't as familiar about it. Can you explain what Playwright is and then maybe help also understand how it is different from Puppeteer or Cypress or any other type of sort of browser automation tool that they might be familiar with? So Playwrights for end-to-end testing and basically like um, automating your end-to-end tests. Um, yeah, Playwrights just amazing because of the tooling behind it. And we'll talk a bit more on, on the tooling, but the integration in with VS Code that we have an extension to be able to generate your tests, like we just mentioned, to have a trace viewer, to actually debug on CI, which is super important. Um, and then you've got like the new UI mode again, we'll probably talk a bit more on that as well. So you can like have a really great developer experience when you're writing your tests. Um, everything about Playwright, in my opinion, is about making your life easier as a developer who's writing tests or a tester who's writing tests or someone who's getting started into testing. Um, like the idea is to try and make testing easy and fun and quick, right? Tests run super, super fast in Playwright, uh, they run in parallel, just out of the box with no extra payment. There's no payment because it's open source and free. So every test is like running super, super quick. Um, and it's basically just a really, really good way of testing your applications, end-to-end testing, um, testing anything that's in the browser, any browser, so we can test across all browsers. There's one API, um, no more flaky tests, everything, because of those uh, locators and selectors that you're talking about, right? That we, we make sure that we're using the best locators out there so that you're not going to have those flaky tests. Um, 
I don't know. Do I want me to keep talking or do you, <laughs> cause I can well, just talk forever about how amazing playwright is. <laughs> and yeah. And, and real quick, I wanted to hit this on a meta level because I've always been, or at least I've long been impressed with Microsoft's sort of ethos on tooling. I, I don't think Microsoft gets enough credit. I mean, we've on this podcast as far back as, you know, many years ago, we talked to the WebHint team and uh, the impressive program that that is. I've, I've heard nothing but great things about like edge developer tooling and the developer consoles and the features that are being built into to edge, especially now that it's uh, Chromium based. And um, and then Playwright now as well, like is, is the development and how y'all are approaching Playwright informed by like a broader mission statement for tooling at Microsoft? Or is it just that y'all have great people and this is just what happens when great people start building <laughs> tooling, like that. I think it's a mixture. Like we have great people for sure. Um, but we also have a great philosophy of like, you know, open source and, you know, putting our users first, like making sure that our cust we're customer driven. So uh, what do our customers need? We also need testing, right? So we're making it for ourselves, but we're not just making it for ourselves. We're making it for our customers because they need testing and we can do it open source. So why not? Um, so the more things that we can do for everybody else, the better. And, and you know, this TypeScript, this VS Code. So some of the best open source stuff out there is being done by Microsoft, which is pretty cool. Um, obviously, we want you all to love Azure. That's our, that's our goal. So, you know, um, love our products. If you think we're great developers and we great, make great products, then, then you're going to say, well, where am I going to put all my data? Well, let's put it in Azure, because obviously, if they're that good at this, they're also going to be amazing in Azure too, right, in the cloud area, which is also true. So. There's always an end goal, but if we can give away those kind of stuff and help developers have a better experience and a better um, developer flow, you know, then why not? Absolutely. Um, you know, and again, the list of features is so impressive that I honestly am kind of wondering where to start jumping in. In preparation for this, I was double checking the homepage. By the way, everyone should always double check the document sites for their favorite tools if you want to learn more. If this wasn't clear to you, whenever I prepare for these podcasts, the doc sites are great for learning kind of what tooling is trying to do. And what caught my eye is that you almost get the sense that you're like, this is uh, this has to be a snake oil salesman because it says, says like any browser you want tabs, not a problem. Shadow Dom, not a problem. Iframes, yeah. not a problem. And just works. These, <laughs> these are the significant pain points of many people that have, um, that have worked with these tools in the past. And I, I think any ability to, uh, to sort of gloss over that or to, or to make that less thorny, I think is, is going to be a huge value add for what I think you would agree with. And I know Ken C. Dodds has written a lot about is that this area of writing um, the, the middle ground between end-to-end -end tests and integration tests, because honestly, I'm starting, I, I start to believe that Cypress Playwright and things like it are getting to the point now where just calling them end-to-end -end test is almost selling them short nowadays. They really are kind of, in my opinion, now in that sort of integration bucket. But this is a, 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 a strata of tests that teams really need to be using a lot more of, if they're, even if they're doing no other testing. Like, this might be the place to start. I don't know if you if you agree with that. Yeah, not, but... no, 100%. And Kent even said that. He, like, he created the testing trophy. And, and now it's like he wants to change that trophy because it's 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 kind of changed because the tools have changed right and you know we started off that end-to-end -end was the small part of the the triangle that the top little part and it was like so small is like the last thing you do and you spend very little time doing it and that's changed because we have better tools that are able to do end-to-end -end tests faster they're able to run faster you're able to create them and that means that really, and, and even Ken C. Dodds will say this, that um, if you were to only write one test, write an end-to-end -end test. And this is basically where we're shifting the people's um, way of thinking. Write your end-to-end -end tests. They're more important than your unit tests, unless there's a specific feature that really needs solid testing. And, and there are always excuse cases where this is really necessary. But in general, if you're going to test something, write end-to-end -end tests. Like test your application, test what the user's doing. That's what's more important. Absolutely. And, you know, again, I, I was lucky enough when I was a developer to also be responsible for managing our uh, testing process. It was a small team. So it's like we kind of did our development stuff and then we took our development hats off and we put on our testing hats and I was in charge of that process. And the promise of being able to uh, automate that um, is 
is potent. I mean, you know, for our team, it probably took us two weeks to go from when we were ready to go code complete to when we were ready to ship because it was like a couple days of testing, a couple days of bug fixing, and then a couple more rounds of testing, and then it would go out the door. The thought of being able to do that or some some decent percentage of that in, you know, 20 minutes, 10 minutes, yeah. five minutes in parallel execution, that is... It makes me wonder what I would have done with all those days, <laughs> all yeah. those years ago. And you make so much mistakes as a human, right? You know, you're you're filling things out, you're clicking, you're doing everything. It, you're going to take so much time. A computer can do it so much faster than you. So you create that story once. You record that. This is your test. This is what the user is going to do. Unlike every time that test runs, it's so fast. It's like there's no way you'd be able to click or write or fill out a form so quick. And we have to take advantage and, uh, of these tools and start using them. Um, I think a lot of people out there who are testers are really worried, like, you know, oh, but I'm a manual tester and I'm going to have no job in the future. And it's like, no, you're going to be able to learn this and you're going to be able to do even more. You need a pay rise because you're going to be able to, like, triple the amount of work you can get done in a day. And that's kind of pretty amazing. Yeah, automation and tools like this also have, you know, we've been talking so much in the industry about AI and what AI mm -hmm. is going to do. And I think, you know, teams have been having a lot of hard conversations even amongst themselves, which is what is this going to mean for us? And I, I, I choose to be optimistic that we are going to find a future where we find the right ways to put these tools in place that it does, as you said, free us up from the mundane. I mean, I was sitting down with my team today and saying, Hey, you know, how could we use some of these AI tools? You know, GitHub just announced GitHub Copilot X and other tools yeah. which sound very appealing. And I said, Are are you all inspired by this? Like, should we be using these tools on the team or not? And I would say that people kind of had the attitude at first where it was like, Yeah, I mean, we'll do if you're gonna give it to us for free, yeah, we'll use whatever. That sounds interesting. And then we started talking about it. Like, imagine being able to, you know, develop these uh script files or test data you know and again that goes to the automated testing and stuff like that like you know we we have uh test accounts and what if you could get realistic test data in there and you could ask an ai to, i want a scenario where it's like this and it generates a hundred records for you that you could insert into the database and you know and people are like oh that would yeah, be cool. <laughs> we don't have those really fake accounts that have, you know, the yeah. 10 things that, that we put together that nobody touches. Cause, and suddenly you start talking about it and people suddenly go, oh, well, then we could maybe do this. <laughs> and then maybe we could do this. And so it is great to watch automation tools come in that it doesn't really take away from what we do. It really, like you said, frees us up and uh, enables us to do things that we didn't even realize we'd be able to do before. Yeah, and it's like stopping you from doing the boring stuff, right? As in going to the website and just clicking around, you know, that's kind of boring after a while. You can do it once. It's like, yeah, this is exciting. But if you're going to do that every every day or every week whenever you're testing that site, come on, that's that's like, that's repetitive tasks that we don't need to do. So let let the computer do it, right? And the same way, like when you're writing your tests. Now, obviously, we have the generator that's going to generate, but there's a lot of stuff you have to write yourself. But as you're writing, GitHub Copilot is like, Oh, I know what I know what you want. I can read your brain. Uh, you want to do this assertion? Uh, let me fill that out for you. And it somehow knows exactly what I want, and it it does it for me. I mean, why do I want to do that myself? Why do I why do I need to? Now, obviously, and th this is the thing, you need to know what GitHub Copilot is giving you so that yeah. you can say yes, that's exactly what I want, or no, this is wrong because you know it's AI, right? We still we're not a hundred percent perfect in, in the AI world, so you do need to know what you're doing. But you can get a lot of stuff done faster. And GitHub Copilot writes playwright tests immensely well. It's really, really cool, especially when I'm writing docs as well. It like I'll write the um, example in you know JavaScript, and then all of a sudden it'll give me the Python example and the .NET example and the Java example. I'm like, <laughs> I think that looks good. I'll check it later. But that looks pretty good, Copilot. Well done, because that knows more than me. <laughs> if yeah, if you're, I mean, I, I know that wasn't really our topic for today, but if you are sitting here listening to this podcast and you are one of these people that hasn't played with these tools, um, either Copilot or GPT, um, and you say, oh, it's it's got to be garbage. It can't do X, Y, Z. Test yourself. I, 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 I was I was a doubter with some things. We were being asked to produce some copy for, for uh, like some marketing copy. And... I thought, oh, you know, it's going to be fluff stuff. It'll be so easy to see through. It won't be valuable. And then I got the sample output from someone. I was like, oh, great. Now I'm going to spend all day rewriting this. And I was like, 
it was minor edits. I was like, wow, this actually was pretty close. The, these tools, and especially now that we have GPT-4, yeah. I, they are shooting Incredible. off faster Incredible. than I even expected a couple months ago. So um, if, you're, if you're not playing with them, try them. Um, I can't allow wait yourself for, like, to be amazed. I can't wait for like the PowerPoint one because I hate creating slides for my talk. So, you know, just give me the slides. I want to give the talk. I don't want to spend hours creating slides. <laughs> you just blew my mind. You just blew my mind. That's yes. Holy cow. That is going to be incredible. All right. Yeah. Let's go back to testing. <laughs> Let's go back to testing. Now, one of the things which comes up a lot is sort of a relic of the way that Cypress was developed um, is people, when you hear about these testing frameworks, they want to know about browser compatibility and, and what the browser scene is. You know, I think a lot of developers just struggle with doing cross-browser testing, period. I mean, everybody, every team has, you know, these are the Chrome users and, oh, that's the guy that always finds the Firefox bugs. And, you know, yeah. this person uses their iPad, so they find, uh, you know, all of those bugs. How how do people decide and how do you define in Playwright which browsers get run and, and, and how that all gets settled and, and how do you have to support that? So when you're setting up, um, especially say you're installing the VS Code extension, uh, you can choose which browsers you want to install. So Chromium, um, WebKit or Firefox. And maybe for some reason you only want to test on one and you can just choose one. Uh, we always say install them all there then that installs that browser instance for you and then you can test against those browser instances if you're in the vs code extension it will test on chromium by default which is the first in your um config file uh the first project and then you later on you can just go and choose select the default profile ch and change that and then run the webkit test if you're running using the terminal it will run all three of those that are in your um, config. And then you've got emulation where you can say, I need to test this on an iPad. So you can, you know, add that device or an, a pixel phone or an iPhone or whatever. And that's like an emulated device, just like in, you know, Chrome DevTools, when you open that up and you emulate that kind of device. Um, and then you can run those tests on, on WebKit, mobile Safari, et cetera. Um, and then, yeah, it basically just works the same on CI as well. So it's going to run those tests on those headless browsers. So you don't even have to have the browser installed. Like I don't have Firefox installed on my computer. No offense to Firefox. I just, um, um, Edge is amazing. I'm using Edge quite a lot and I use Chrome as well. And that's all I need. So I still test against Firefox, but I don't have Firefox installed. And that just goes to show you how kind of Playwright works because that browser instance is in, you know, like, you know, is downloaded and in your kind of package, I guess. Um, which means if you're on a Windows, you can test on on WebKit, on on Safari, right? And that's pretty impressive because that was always the problem. You know, a lot of companies only have Windows machines and therefore it never gets tested. You got to go buy one Mac and then the one person on the Mac has to go, or like you said, the iPad, that one person has to test all this. So yeah, we can test on any, um, any browser from money application, which is cool. And if people don't realize this, like it's it's not even obscure differences too. I mean, it, sometimes it is obscure. I guess is what I'm trying to say. I remember we once had a bug filed because we used the INTL, the Internationalization Library mm -hmm. built into the browser to help uh, facilitate some translations. And in just in Firefox, this was this is not to dump on Firefox. Firefox is a great browser. Yeah. Each browser has their own warts. This particular issue happened to be in Firefox. The, their particular implementation of one of the Chinese localizations for one phrase was incorrect. What? <laughs> That's so crazy. crazy. But it's 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 a microcosm of the reason to test it because you know going even a little bit beyond a, a sort of cursory glance. Oh yeah, it loads. It seems to load. Yeah. Okay. You know, these automated tests running the same tests against each of the systems is going to give you some reasonable certainty. In that scenario, if we were testing based on the locators of what the user would see, in other words, click on the button labeled this, and all of a sudden it runs in Chrome, it runs in WebKit, it failed in, in you know, in, in, uh, Firefox. in Firefox, why did it fail in Firefox? And then yeah. you investigate and you realize, oh, there's a translation. What I thought the button text would be isn't the button text, which I think is another reason why, maybe we can talk about these these selectors, is why having a tool for end-to-end -to -end testing or integration testing that is 
is defining tests how users interact with the system is so important. Um, so I don't know if you want to talk about kind of where you got this idea and how you y'all have developed these selectors to be different. Cause I mean, I think some people might intuitively know or know from other ones that, you know, it's, they might expect to use sort of like that jQuery syntax or, or, you know, query selector syntax of, I guess I can find IDs, I can find elements, I can find classes, yeah. but, but y'all have a much broader set of utilities for finding things to interact with on the page. I don't know if you want to talk about that. Yeah, so if, if anyone who started off with Playwright, like version one, they would have seen that kind of jQuery style and the dollar. And, you know, that was kind of like the way that, that it was being used uh, until the test runner kind of came about. And then we called it the locator. So we started creating these locators. And um, that was a great way of finding things in the page. But it was actually Kent C. Dodds who gave us feedback uh, last year and basically said that, you know, what if you make a mistake as you're typing in that locator? There's no type kind of safety. And um, and he basically said, obviously, he created, you know, testing library. And he's very obviously happy with what he created. And he's like, I want testing library style locators, but I'm not getting this in Playwright. And I don't want to bring testing library into Playwright because that's installing something else on top of something else. And he's like, how can we you know, fix this. And, and we basically, um, the team got together and we had lots of chats with, with Kent and Kent gave a lot of his time and feedback on, uh, into this. So thanks to Kent for that. Um, but basically, yeah, we incorporated testing library style um, inspired locators. And that's where you're seeing that get by um, role name, whatever, get by um, test ID, get by, etc. So everything that came from Test not everything because we we took some things and not all of things and kind of used that and that's basically how they're now much more. I mean, I love them. I think that the the new inspired locators, the testing library inspired, is much nicer way of um, writing code because you can understand it, you can see it straight away. Uh, it's got the type safety and also if you're coming from a testing library background, now you just know how to use the locators in Playwright because that's what you're used to and and many people are coming from that background so. It's a win-win, but yeah, it's um, that's how it came about. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because it, it it really is the case that you know tests are maybe at their worst when they're testing implementation details, um, and people are like, well, "What do you mean? Like test? Mm -hmm. You're testing that things work? What is that but an implementation detail?" But like, it's better when it's testing contracts, and I think. Honestly, as a community, we probably don't do a very good job of educating ourselves and each other about what a contract and an API means in a UI, because it both seems like implementation details at times and contracts, but the things that people see, the names of buttons, um, yeah. their roles or their IDs, those things are part of the contract. That is how people will perceive them. That's how people will know which button is which. The one says reset, the one says uh, you know, submit. submit. They won't, mm -hmm. they won't, they'll know it by role, right? The button could be role submit. Conceptually, a person looking at a website doesn't, you know, it's not going to inspect it and yeah. say, oh, this is the, this is the submit button. But, you know, the, the machine will understand it. Assistive technologies will understand it as the submit exactly. button. Um, and users might read the text. And so you want to engage with your UI in the, by the, by those contracts and then pilot it that way rather than by having to reach into what you understand to be the structure of the DOM, the structure of the page, which components get embedded into which components. Yeah. Um, and that is especially true with reusable code where a widget might be in a different page and now you can't take the tests with you anymore. Like that. that and we're changing all the time. We are literally like, you know, as we progress within the frameworks, we, we're either migrating to other frameworks or, you know, we're changing to new, newer versions where the code changes and your styles changes. Also, we're changing, you know, like sometimes you might have, you're using, I don't know, say, I'm going to say Bootstrap, for example, and you change to Tailwind. Hmm. Now, how are you going to use CSS selectors? That means you've got to rewrite all your tests because you chose to change your CSS framework. That, that doesn't make sense. That should not be integrated together. So that's something to kind of keep in mind that like, you know, you should always be able to take something out and it shouldn't break everything else. So if you're writing your tests and you're going to change your framework or change your CSS or change your DOM and all your tests are going to break, uh, it's going to be hard work later. Now, if the name of the button changes, right? 
which it might change. And then you got to say, is that important? Do I need to know that that button changed? So if it is a submit button and someone changed it to send, well, maybe I want to know about that because maybe that's the wrong message of that button. So I agree. I, and I think that's where it we don't do a good job of of understanding the difference. Yes. People say, oh, yeah, sure, if I move it in the DOM, whatever. But what if I change the text? I should be able to freely change text and my test shouldn't change. And it's like, in some places, sure, the yeah. marketing copy in the in, copy in the middle of the page maybe shouldn't need to be all there. But uh, but the names of the buttons is probably important. The names of the links are really important. Maybe the 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 titles of the sections perhaps is important. I mean, because it depends on what kind of application you have. Um, which elements are on screen and not on screen, I think is, is, is valuable, especially when you're talking about testing different form factors and making sure that all of your uh, responsive code is, is operating appropriately. Uh, you know, that stuff is, is, is really important. And you're right. I mean, changing the name of a button is probably a bigger deal than you realize it is. Uh, even yeah. though your users might may in some circumstances very rapidly adjust to the new name. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, yeah, <laughs> great. Um, another thing is, and I don't know if you want to touch on this, cause I know th I just think that this is a kind of question that I get a lot when I work with teams on end-to-end -end testing a lot, which is what to do with the real systems, how much to mock, what to do with authentication, you know, in all these, all these levels, I, the hard I think questions, <laughs> too, I think that's too complicated, um, yeah. to, to, to get into the specifics on what to do, but what, what would be kind of your advice, I suppose, for teams that are struggling with this and either getting, uh, caught up in trying to mock the world away or, uh, conversely, just banging their head trying to get their test suite to connect to the staging server or the production servers and uh, and revert out all the changes it makes in the database in between testing runs or you know anything along those lines. I think like the less mocking, the better. Um, you want to make it as real as possible to what your user is seeing, and the user not is not getting mock data; it's getting kind of real data and stuff. Um, obviously, there are use cases where you can't, and that's fine, but. Like don't mock a fetch request, for example. Like, and you know, in Playwright we have API testing as well, so you can totally go and test your API and um, and and do all that. But obviously, like the real answer is it depends. It depends on what you're doing and stuff. But try and always make it as close to the user as possible. The least amount of mocking as possible. Uh, when it comes to authentication, um, basically you're just trying to get your your app into an authenticated state. Unless you've custom made your own out then you don't need to test that, right? If you're using, I don't know, um, out zero or something like that, well, they already know how to do authentication. They're amazing. So you don't need to test their system, right? You're just testing that you can actually get into a logged in state. Um, so you do that, get in that logged in state, save that into um, storage state, and then run your tests in that logged in state. And that's sometimes the hardest thing um, for a lot of people to kind of like get to that state because you know they're running on logged in kind of you know apps, dashboards, et cetera. And you know, we did create recently in the the previous uh, release the project dependencies, which makes it much easier for like doing a global setup and having that authentication. That one test that is now this test is a de depends on it, so this test will always run first. And if it fails, none of your other tests will run because they need that that setup to run first. Um, so that was a really nice improvement recently to help with the global setup um, of authentication. But yeah, it's we're always trying to improve things, make things better. Uh, I think Ken Dots has some great articles when it comes to what you should mock, what you shouldn't. So I definitely follow his blog posts on those kind of questions. I, I poked through the best practices section of the site, and I guess this is just sort of my suggestion if it isn't already there. But again, I know that teams deal with databases. Um, mm -hmm. I, I've been through multiple conversations where someone said, okay, well, if we have end-to-end -end tests, aren't we going to test user creation? Well, if we do that, how do we make it so that we're not creating hundreds of these accounts? Do we have to then delete them afterwards? Is that part of the test? Is that a cleanup script that runs later? Right? Like, I think this is always what's weird because I think like whenever you see examples, a lot of times with end end tests, it's like an unauthenticated front an easy page example. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but a lot of people's products are these, you know, uh, separate private, um, or at least gated uh, circumstances with, with real data. And I think teams are often confused. Like, do we turn it on the prod system? Do we turn it on the staging system? Because I think that's one of the things is like, 
when you start dipping between whether it's true end-to-end -end testing or it's more like an integration test, I think it's it's just like, is it really close to production and using everything as thinly as possible? Or are you mostly using this as automation to kind of run through the UI as a user would or how these two things interact, which might have more mocking or more isolation? I don't know. Like, is there, do you have a sense of, or an opinion on kind of, I know we want to mock as little as we can, but yeah. like how teams negotiate that? I don't know. I think, again, it all depends. It depends right. on everything, on how much, like your system, how much data you have, what exactly you're testing, how important it is to test that particular entry into the database, or is it is that not really necessary and you're just actually testing what happens when you have that data? So it's it's a really hard question to answer, especially like without seeing like a code and an example and a, and a use case, you know? But there's no real... <laughs> Yeah, there's no real doc out there that said that has the be all, the one all, the end all answer to everything. That's unfortunately doesn't exist. <laughs> Maybe that's why AI will never fully replace us, I suppose. No. <laughs> all right. One of the developments that y'all have recently, uh, I think it's released now, fully released, is the Playwright UI, right? Yeah, it's and... in preview. Oh, it's in preview mode. Okay. So uh, first of all, could you just kind of introduce what that enables people to be able to do? Yeah, so a lot of our uh, users out there were looking for watch mode for ages, like watch mode, watch mode, we need a watch mode. And, um, you know, we like always listen to everything that our users um, ask for. We don't always have time to do everything that our users want us to do. But watch mode was one that everyone wanted. And also another thing um, was the trace viewer, right? And you know, this is also inspired by Ken C. Dodds in a way. I'm going to say that, but also not just Ken C. Dodds, other users, but I'll just, my personal experience was watching him test, watching him using Playwright for the first time and seeing what he's looking for. And when he was kind of saying, you know, yes, like, you know, obviously Cypress have a great, you know, tool. And he's like, I'm missing this. I want to visually see, see something. And, and he was like opening the trace viewer locally. And then like the tracer is meant for like, you know, debugging on CI, but he was using it locally to kind of like see the test to visually see things. So bringing that feedback back to the team and saying, you know, users want visual, they want a watch mode. They want to be able to see the test. The, the trace view is amazing. They all love it. They all love it. They want to use it all the time. And then trying to like, you know, get that feedback together, put it together, then create like something that this is what our users are looking for. This is what they want. And we've got to try and imagine it and put it together, right? Uh, and I think uh, the team did an amazing job. Personally, I think they've done incredible work in, in delivering such a great product, even though it's in preview because we put it in preview because we think that's what you want, but tell us, is that actually what you want? Is there something missing? You know, how can we make it better? Um, and it, we've got great response so far. So basically, when you are running your tests, now it's going to use the trace viewer that you can actually see a full trace of your test. So you're able to go back in time, go forward in time, um, open that trace in say Chrome DevTools and inspect it and like see everything that's going on, change the CSS, do whatever you'd normally do. Um, you're able to then run your test, watch the test, go open directly in VS Code if you're using VS Code, which is insane because you just click here, opens VS Code, change it, it's going to watch it, it's going to rerun it. And then you can see if it's passed, if it's failed and you just have one window open over there, one on the desktop and work here and just look over and go, yes, it's all green. Oh no, it's red. I need more coffee. <laughs> but yeah, it's cool. Well, and then I, I don't know mm. if this is the intended use case, but suddenly I was inspired by this idea of, you know, a lot of us have been in the situation where you're doing some development, maybe you're tweaking some styles, maybe you're tweaking some global styles. And so once you make some tweaks, you want to make sure that the page you were working on is still working, but then you want to make sure nothing else is broken. What if you had this test that was going around to all the key pages. And then you have this ability to just quickly scan through all the pages that you were on to make sure that it all looked right in all the places that you needed it to look right. That's suddenly, and that's happening every time you save an instant refresh. Yeah. And if it need to log in, it logs in for you. Like suddenly you're talking about a lot of time savings and getting a lot of data really quickly, uh, which is- Yeah, really like cool. I'll be honest, when I'm like just doing my own tests on my own website and you know, it's it's not an important website. So it's like, I have some tests and I will like edit something, I'll you know add another blog post, do something else. And I will never run my tests while I'm actually, cause it's not a feature, right? It's just adding something, but maybe something in that database didn't come back. And you know, I'm using Nuxt content for mine. So it's like, yeah, it'll all work. But then on CI, something fails and I'm like, you know, because I might have actually tweaked CSS and I might have just added, you know, the way you just like add stuff yeah, here. Yeah. 
And then I like, you know, I finish and I'm like, yes, it's like, I'm going to, you know, go and cycling now. And then I say it's failed in CI and I'm like, oh my God, seriously. Whereas now at the UI mode, it's so much easier because now, even if I don't use watch mode, right? You don't have to use watch mode, but just opening that UI and pressing play before I submit onto GitHub mm -hmm. and actually just kind of like, yeah, everything's green, but I can see it. And when it's not, it's a nice developer experience to debug it because I can see, ah, look, the CSS changed and it's um, it's all blue instead of red. I can see why that's a problem and why it's, I don't know, whatever. But you can visually see it. And I think visually seeing something is, it's like, it's immensely improves your developer experience. And it, it just makes me want to always run my tests when I'm working. <laughs> and GUIs are so underrated. Uh, yeah. As a development community, for the longest time, we told each other that it, everything has to be headless, everything has to be console. You know, you you have to be automated and scripted. And I love when GUIs are reintroduced. Um, one of the ones that I fell in love with, and I honestly thought was going to start propagating everywhere, and it sort of never did, was the Vue CLI GUI. It is yeah. incredibly cool. I remember seeing it for the first time. That was like our first introduction to Vue, and I just fell in love. I was like, this is insane. The idea that it visualizes your node scripts, it mm -hmm. tells you maybe how many system resources your web server's using. It gives you shortcuts to all the things you would want to do. It shows you your files. It Putting all that together, not just for people that are just learning something, it's in, obvious it should be evidently valuable to those people, but as an accelerator for uh, for anybody, um, it's it's so valuable. So I love to see the development of a UI tool just for what the added power of of having that extra data on screen can that those insights that you can glean. Yeah. Um, so when I saw, I was watching the video of you demoing it out recently, and it and it does look like uh, it is going to be in that same vein. And I, I I hope that more people, more more libraries do that because I do think GUIs have a lot to offer if you're developing them the right way and you're putting the right kind of features in there. Yeah, hundred so. percent. We saw that from the trace viewer, like debugging on CI in a visual way instead of just like a video, right? Which you can watch a video, but to actually be able to you know open the trace, go back and forward and and that's like, that's what people want. They want their lives to be made easier. How can we make their lives easier? Reading a terminal full of messages is not going to make your life easier. Some people love it, and that's totally cool. And you can just you can just read the output. You don't have to use the UI mode. It's you know it's it's there. Um, if you don't want to use it, fine. Absolutely. But but yeah, I find like just reading those messages, or you know, like when you open GitHub and you see all the tests fail and you start reading, it's like oh, this is too much. I can't follow. <laughs> like, give me something visual. Let me see the code. Let me see where I last clicked and why this now doesn't work. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, there are two scenarios where this came up. I've been on a team that every time the end-to-end the -end tests ran, you would get a big zip file of like 100 plus screenshots from every step yeah. of every test in case you needed to go back and review one of the tests. And, uh, you know, I used to do a lot of Angular development. I mean, I still do some, but I used to do a lot of Angular development when there were, could be a lot of issues with pages not, um, not, being, a, not being able to tell when the change detection ended. So they would just sort of mm. spin infinitely. And you would be sitting there like, why is this test not working? And it was hard sometimes. You'd have to force the headless mode off and try to watch it till it got stuck and say, oh, I see where it got stuck. And so um, there are a lot of situations where this, I think, will come up. And so any teams that are sitting there like, yeah, we have the zip file with 100 screenshots after every run of the, <laughs> the CI, um, this, you know, this might be where you want to be looking. So For sure. All right. Well, we talked a lot about these different types of integrations, or at least we've hinted at them. Could you uh, entice people with all the different places where Playwright can show up in other tools? For example, you've mentioned the VS Code plugin, uh, mm -hmm. which is really cool. I don't know if you all have like built-in GitHub integration to connect of these course. things to. I would imagine nothing <laughs> <I> mean... <laughs> less. But like, can you give a sense of what this ecosystem that you're developing of integrations and things like that that might uh, excite people? Yeah, so Playwright is TypeScript first, um, and obviously, you know, Microsoft TypeScript. Um, and that just, like, you, some people are not in TypeScript yet. I think the world is moving towards a TypeScript 
you know, first world. Um, you can still use JavaScript if you want, but we highly encourage you to stay using TypeScript because you're going to get the type benefits, especially from the config. Like you're just writing in the config file and it's just telling you exactly what you can have. And that's, you don't have to go to the documentation because it's giving you documentation as you're typing. So definitely use TypeScript. Um, and then we've got like the um, code generator. So you're able to like generate your code. And you're, this is like built into VS Code as well. If you're not using VS Code, you can still use the Playwright Inspector and still do the same thing. But if you're using VS Code, it's built in. So just pressing the button VS Code record new is going to actually open the browser window and open a test file in VS Code. And you've just got to like click around. It's written the test for you and press save. Modify it and add your assertions, of course. I always say like it's not, you know, not going to do everything for you. You have to do a little bit of work. Uh, and then you can run it you know, directly there in VS Code or open the UI mode and, um, and watch it in, in watch mode and continue you know, changing your code, modifying, et cetera. Um, then obviously, um, get up actions. Again, if you're using the, the VS Code extension or just installing uh, with Create Playwright, it's going to ask you, do you want to get up actions? And, just by saying yes, you get that YAML file that has everything set up for you. So you don't need to do anything. You just need to put your code on GitHub and now it's gonna work on every pull request and every comment. And that's kind of like, that's insane, right? Because it's like, I was trying to write the docs for it and I was like, how do I explain this to people? And they're like, it just works. I'm like, what do you mean it just works? <laughs> I need to like tell people what to do. They don't need to do anything. What do you mean they don't need to do anything? They have to be able to do, it's like, no, it just works. It just works. Um, obviously, if you're not on GitHub, like there is a whole docs page, you know, for the Azure, for GitLabs, for all those others. CI like totally works on everything else. But obviously on GitHub, it's just super integrated super well. Um, and yeah, what else? Um, what am I, I missing? There's a obviously? Chrome extension, a browser extension too? No, there isn't. That's actually to test a Chrome extension. Oh, to test a Chrome extension. Okay. Mm. I, I misunderstood. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, well, that's cool think, that it can do that too. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Like, I think that's pretty much it in the sense of like the, the trace viewer then is, you know, your other tool and then the UI mode. But it's all kind of, yeah, integrated together as best as possible to give you the best developer experience. Perfect. Well, I mean, you've already built all this. Uh, <laughs> what is left to conquer? What, where, where do we go from here? Where does Play I mean, go forward? There's still so much more and you just have to like open GitHub and you'll see the amount of issues, the amount of feature requests that people have. There's so many people, um, you know, writing tests from different backgrounds. People are asking us for Cucumber support, for example, you know, that's something that's kind of, you know, will we put our efforts into that? I don't know, I can't, I can't actually say, but um, there's a lot of things that people are requesting. Another one is visual regression testing, right? Um, we're seeing a lot of people that want to do we have a we, we're able to do that, but can we make it better? Can we make it a better experience? Um, there's so much stuff that we could do to improve on. And then of course the UI mode is obviously insane and everyone thinks it's amazing, but we've only built it in Node, right? So now we've got the Python people saying, can we have this? The .NET people, the Java people, can we have this? So there's a lot of work to kind of like maintain everything across, you know, all your language bindings as well. Um, so there's there's still so much more work that um, I, I always say, we're only just getting started. We've just created a, a nice experience that people can really enjoy writing tests, but now we have to go deeper. Now we need to go really into like, what our users are living in day and day and how can we make their lives even better, even easier, so they can write tests faster, be happier with writing tests, and then be able to go do more sport later because they don't have to <laughs> sit there all day. <laughs> I know this is a niche question. It's usually something that's interesting to me, but do y'all have an official position on the the application of Playwright on browser automation, but not specifically for the purposes of testing? So this could be screen scraping, scraping this could and be, or whatever else. Like, is is this something that, uh, or just you know, workflow automation, whatever it is, is is this something that y'all like? It's maybe incidentally supported, but not really a focus of yours. Is this something that maybe if there's a use case you're interested in, in folding in, like? I mean, um, the library is there, right? And you know, people are using the library to do kind of scraping and to do all that that stuff. But when it comes to testing, and some people are still using the library, and they're not they're using the library for testing. So, um, and then when they're doing that, they're missing out on all the benefits of Playwright, which is the auto waiting, the retriability, all the stuff that you're getting for free. You're not getting if you're just using the library. Um, but maybe you only are using the library because you're scraping a page, and then that's all you need. Okay, fine. If that works, 
Um, we're not focused on that though. So, you know, that's not our area. Our area is the test runner. We want to make sure that Playwright is um, working as best as possible for the end-to-end -end testing. End-to-end -end is our goal. That's what we're working towards. And anyone else that's doing anything else with Playwright, fine. But, you know, if you want to do that, if that makes you happy, go for it. But <laughs> we're, we're going to be like, we're not going to fix the issues on like something that, oh, my scraper didn't work. It's like, well, Playwright is for end-to-end -end testing. <laughs> I was trying to get my Taylor Swift tickets and it <laughs> yeah. timed out. Uh, yeah. yeah, sorry. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about uh, about Playwright's community. Um, you mm. know, I think it's it's great to hear about uh, how y'all are reaching back out and the kind of the events that you might host for people. So for people that are kind of interested, can you tell us where uh, interesting playwright devs congregate right now? Yeah, so we set up the Discord channel about three months ago. Um, and it was a kind of a, a bold move. It's like, we're going to move from Slack to Discord. And people don't like move. So it was like, oh, no, <laughs> you know, we could lose the community here. We could be a disaster. But, you know, for various reasons, we needed a better place where we could kind of um, to create more more for our developers, more for the community. So uh, Discord works great um, for us and the community really like 95.5% came with us, which is amazing. Um, inside Discord, we've created like a help playwright forum where people can ask their questions. And it's insane the amount of people in the community that are helping each other out and answering. And before I even like, get to open the question somebody's already answered it and i'm like oh my god that's amazing that's what a community is all about um we also did an event there today we're doing playwright happy hour um every second friday and that's when we just like you know jump on and it's the playwright community themselves are you know taking this initiative to, to do this with some of the ambassadors and basically just get the community involved and we brought them up in the stage and some of them shared their stories and just chatted uh, we've got articles and videos that they can share in there as well. And I think that's a, the Discord channel is definitely the buzzing place of like, I want to chat to someone. Um, I want to share what I've done. I want to tell someone I'm speaking at an event. Um, you know, that's basically where we where we all hang out, I guess. Um, and it's really nice to see. It's a it's a really nice community. You know, as a developer advocate and just as a community member, you know, it has to be so interesting to see this because not too many years ago, basically, you had to form these groups on Twitter and yeah. uh, Twitter still a great place to meet people despite all the things that are going on with it. But uh, it is amazing that just the entire ecosystem moved to these uh, Discord servers. And I know for some of us, it's sometimes difficult to keep track of all the Discords for all the things that we're interested in. But um, I've been amazed that it really isn't zero sum. I thought that there would be there was a part of me that was thinking that these Discord servers would would congregate to mega servers and then some very small niche ones on the the boundaries. But what it really looks like is that it's almost like the more you're in, the more you join. <laughs> you get yeah. exposed to other communities and, and people seem to be finding the bandwidth to kind of float around as their interests float around. And so this this era of, of Discord servers, I think, has been great for for community yeah. establishment and i don't know if you've had this experience but it just does seem like there's enough to go around like you'd think like why would people want to be in the playwright discord what they could be in the react discord which is larger or a javascript discord which is even larger why won't they they're in them the all. largest community but they're yeah, they're they in, them in them all yeah you get to have a bigger impact in the smaller communities um but you know and so there's reasons to be engaged at every every level of your interest but you'd also so, get lost right if you if you were to ask a question and everything is just like javascript how how would you find the, the playwright expert that's going to be able to help you or the React expert that's going to be able to help you? Whereas if you're in the playwright community, you know you're talking to people who are also writing tests. So you're going to get an opinion. Now, maybe it might not be the right answer for your question, but you're going to get an opinion that something maybe you've never thought about because they're the people that are actually, you know, also not just like me, but they're actually testers. They're actually developers. Um, and, and it's about connecting the same similar interests together so that the community know who they can talk to about when it comes to testing, when it comes to playwright. That's really cool. Now, at the ends of these podcasts, we like to do something a little bit fun and a little bit off topic. And I know recently that you ran in, I think it was your first half marathon. Is that right? That is right. Yes. Congratulations. Thank I won't you. make you say what your time is if you don't want to share it. But oh, I'm going to say I it. I am so impressive. proud. Two okay, hours, good. one minute. Be. 
Two yes. hours, one minute. It's insane. Okay, but be honest with me. Were you just a yes. little bit disappointed that you were one minute off of the two minute mark? You know, I'll tell you, right? So um, I was running along this, um, they have these banners. So mm -hmm. the guy with this like flag, right? He was a two hour guy. So I ran side by side with him, like literally neck and neck. And, you know, it was great. And I was chatting and I was saying like, I actually never run like at this pace. This is a little bit, you know, faster than my pace, but it's only by 10 seconds. So I, I'm going to do it. And he was saying, when you get to like kilometer 18, like, you know, cause you go around twice, right? So like when you get to here, the next round, you're gonna have to like, like sprint and go really fast. And I'm like, let's see if I can, um, <laughs> see if I can do that. I, my goal is to finish, right? Not to like, you know, and I, I have diaphragm problems. So like, I can't always sprint, like it hurts here and I've got to like go through pain and stuff. So I was like, I don't know if this is gonna behave. I've got to like do breathing exercises while I'm running and control this. So I was doing really well. It's really hard to drink water, by the way, running and drinking water. They don't teach you this. It's like. How am I meant to do this? You get a cup of water and you're trying to like run and drink. And it's like, oh my God. So I didn't drink enough water. That's guarantee. And by 17.5 kilometers, I don't know what that is in miles. If, if you're all listening in miles, so sorry. Um, I started to get like, I could almost feel like my body was missing salts. Right. Mm, mm -hmm. And it was getting really hot. I had sweated so much. Um, and I did have an energy bar, but I wanted to want food and I kind of could have done with more water, but there's no more water now because I drank my last water because they're only at every five kilometers. So I'm like, this is now hard. And and my my two hour guy was like going a little bit further ahead of me and he looked back and he's like, come on. And I'm like, no, I, I, I need to slow down. I need to go at my pace now because I'm actually going to crash on the floor if I keep at that pace. So I was like, right. Can I do this? Three and a half more kilometers. I can't do it. I'm just going to give up. My head is like, just stop. Just mm -hmm. walk. Yeah. Just walk. Just give up. Don't do it. You can't do it, Debbie. You can't do it. And it's like this. And I'm like, shut up. Shut up, head. Come on. Shut up, boys. So I'm like, I'm just going to do another half a kilometer. And then there was this guy who was running at kind of like the same pace as me. And I think it was maybe at this stage six instead of 540. So I was like, I'm going to run with him. Okay. He's doing okay. Okay, look. Oh, we got another kilometer. And I'm like, I'm celebrating it every kilometer. I'm like, yay, one more kilometer. Yay. <laughs> and he, I think he thought I was crazy. Um, so I just kept going. I'm just going, I'm just going to do another one. Just another half. Just another one. Just to the traffic light. Just to there. Just to there. And then when I got to like the point of all the people are there clapping and stuff. And um, I just saw people clapping. And I was like, okay, this is nice. I'll keep going. But at this stage, I thought it was like, the other guy was gone like 10 minutes ahead or something. So I was like, I'm just going to keep running. It's fine. I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it to the finish line. And as I turned around the corner, and that's where the big kind of thing is and the clock, and I could see it hadn't even got to two hours yet. And I was like, oh, my God, I've done so well. This is what? So I sprinted, but not to make it under two, just because I was like, oh, my God, I've given up on yeah. myself. I thought I was like at two hours 10 or two hours 15. And I'm like, this is insane. And I just... I just sprinted so fast. I went through it and I got there two, uh, two hours, one minute. And then like this little kid, this little five-year-old is there with a medal to put over me. And and then I've never run a race before as in like, like this. Right. So I was, yeah. what do I do? What do I do next? I just want to die. So I just found a wall and just sat down. Now they had told me that like, just turn around the corner. That's where all the like isotonic drinks are and the fruit. <laughs> if someone had said that, it would have been so much better. But I sat there kind of going, oh my God, I can't do this. I'm going to die. Um, but yeah, then I went around, got a drink, um, some fruit. And then I sat on the floor to just eat that fruit and drink that drink. And I just, I just kept going, oh my God, oh my God. And if someone had told me that if I just had to keep going, there was free beer and massages, <laughs> I would have kept going. <laughs> but yeah, it was um, it was a really nice experience. Um, and, and I did it kind of like on my own, but with support from other people kind of around. Yeah. And they were all so nice, so friendly. Everyone is, what, what, what I learned from that is that everybody's different. Everybody's body is different. I don't have a, an athletic body in the sense of like, if you look at me beside all these like amazing athletes, I'm like this big square and they're like this little kind of skinny, you know, <laughs> um, but everyone is different. Everyone's running in their own race at their own pace, their own time. Nobody's competing against another person. And it's really, really nice to see, but everyone else is, everyone is helping each other out. Everyone's cheering each other on. If someone starts walking, you kind of say, hey, come on, you got this, keep going, keep going such a nice like atmosphere that it was just it was a lovely experience in that sense 
so beautifully stated. I mean, I've, I encountered the same thing. I was never a runner. I hated running as a kid and got into it as an adult and worked my way up from a mile to five to 5k to a 10k, ultimately to a half marathon. I made a mistake in training. Well, not, I mean, it is a mistake. I did it intentionally, which is I just can't find the time, get myself to focus to do a full length training run. So what I did is I got up to an hours of running and I said, that's easy. I just, I can do an hour just fine. I just need to do another one of those. Yeah. And so on the day of the race, I did my, I tried to go for two hours and uh, I got 202. That's why I was asking if you were disappointed. Oh, I, wow. I, was, I, I thought I had hit two minutes, but I had paced myself wrong. I just didn't realize it. And so um, I, uh, but yeah, after I got through an hour and I just kept going and my body at first was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It was an hour that you're done. And yeah. it was like, oh, I guess we're still going. So then I had like that second wind and then the, the, the exhaustion part that great, you talked about where crazy, you're like, this is not it? happening. And then my body did something that it was so cool to know you could do, which was to push past it. Yes. And about, with about a mile or two miles left, I, I couldn't stop for water anymore because I knew if I tried to stop for water, my legs would not start again. So yeah. they just kept going. And when I got done, everyone was, you know, at the finish line, they're stopping, they're high five and they're hugging. And I'm just like, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. Cause my legs wouldn't wobbly. stop moving. They're, they're wobbling. They just kept going. Yeah. And I'm like, excuse me, I'm still coming through. I can't stop myself yet. And uh, yeah, I got done. And my, uh, my fiance at the time, now my wife, she was like, uh, what do you want to do? They have tents and, and, and things and vendors. And I just was like, take me home. <laughs> and went home and got a big big bowl of uh whatever and uh and then just rested but uh but it's just that feeling of accomplishment i don't know about you like are, are you planning to go for the marathon next are, are, are you trying to work towards that or did you feel like you found your goal so my goal was always to do a marathon but now that i've done a half marathon i'm thinking oh my god how can i do a marathon like my body just said 17.5 where no you can't do this this is hard then I made it right, but that's twenty-one. But now you got to do double that. How can I do double that? How can, how do people? And they did it in like three and a that's half hours. That's where I am right now. That's where I am. I can't picture it. I can't picture it. My brother's a marathon runner. My best friend is a marathon runner. Uh, they do amazing times. I think it's all about training and preparation. And I think um, I didn't prep properly for this marathon or half marathon, I should say, um, because I didn't do the long enough runs. So, okay, like my friend yeah. told me afterwards, you should have run fifteen kilometers. I went. Oh, I just stopped at 10. My body was doing good. And then like, you know, we were on I did the same 11. Training plan. <laughs> Nobody told me, nobody tells you these things. So I thought like, that was enough. Um, obviously that's not enough. So I think if I was going to do a marathon, I would definitely pr get a proper training plan and speak to somebody who actually knows what they're doing and, and listen to their advice properly. I signed up for the half marathon three days before the race. I was kind of like, will I do it? Can I do it? Will I do it? So that's great. I was like, yeah, and I, I really just wanted to finish. I wanted to know that I can finish it without my diaphragm stopping me from, from running, without my breathing causing me problems. Now that I've got to that stage, now, yes, I want to do more. I want to do it in less than two hours now. I want to, yeah, I want to challenge myself to anything. But I think the marathon, I think I need more time. All right. <laughs> We're doing this live on the air, but maybe we need to talk to Henri. Set a date, uh, <laughs> yeah. Henri, and we'll get we'll get a bunch of uh, a bunch of marathon hopefuls, and we'll, yeah, we'll we'll record our journey to getting to twenty six point two. Maybe we should have a miles. podcast on like, yeah, we should have a podcast on like you know let devs who want to run marathon and let's have a let's have these conversations on what we should be doing. Are we eating right? Are we you know are we doing anything like what are we doing? Like how do we do this? How do we do a marathon? How does that even happen? There we go. Yeah, because I'm with you. I, I would love to know what 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 barrier you have to cross for your body to, to do And I'd it. love to do it with do it. somebody. I'd love to do it with somebody. I think doing it on my own, the half marathon, you know, as in I was so glad for this guy with the flag, but I'd love to have like a group of friends that do it and someone that's a better that's not in it to compete. That's just like, I'm going to run with you just so you can finish it. Like my support kind of person. I want that person. I came through the finish line and I didn't know anyone. I spoke to this stranger, this I think she was German. And I said, can you take a picture of me on your phone and then WhatsApp me that picture so I can have a picture of myself finishing? Like, <laughs> that's sad, right? <laughs> no, it's great. I mean, like you said, the community grabs each yes. other. That's yes. that's that's what they're for. Because uh, you know, even if with your if you're with people, you're at different paces sometimes. So um, oh, completely. People completely. at your own pace are are happy to embrace you. But all right, well, we we we're gonna put a pin in that one. We will come back yes. with that running <laughs> podcast. So. 
uh, but uh, that will be the end of today's podcast on Playwright, at least. So thank you, everybody, for listening to this Modern Web podcast. Thank you to our guest, Debbie. As always, the conversation does not stop here. You can find Debbie on Twitter at Debs O'Brien. That's D-E-B-S underscore O-B-R-I-E-N. You can find me online at RoboCell. As for the podcast, you can find us online at moderndotweb.com or on Twitter at modern.web. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Debbie. And we'll see Thank you all next you. time. Make sure you're all testing and also doing sport. <laughs>